Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee Greenest state in the land of the free Raised in the woods so he knew every tree Killed him a bar when he was only three Davy, Davy Crockett Babysitting the Anderson kids. Sarah. Mom got Chris to babysit for me. Chris? Her brother Brad. Oh my. His best friend Daryl. Who's this kid? Stray dog. Take good care of my baby. I'll guard her with my life. What could possibly go wrong? Chris, I'm in trouble. Hang up and sit down. I'll be there in half an hour. Well, I'm just out of school. This is the night when things go from bad. You could say they were having a bad night. Any problems? No, not really. If they weren't having such a good time. Adventures in babysitting. Think your parents will ever ask me to babysit again? If they do, I'd ask them for a buck more an hour. Welcome, everyone, to Chicago Week. On Be Kind Rewind, this is your Disney Plus movie podcast. I, of course, am Dan Teets, and joining me... Kara Hawkins. And we are here to talk about the wonderful 1987 gem that is Adventures in Babysitting. This was released July the 3rd of 1987. It only did $34.4 million at the box office, which is oh, surprising. Wow. That's about $93 million in today's box office. Not too good, not too bad. Definitely would not get a sequel in today's films. And this movie is running on Disney+. Plus. I think it's because the 2016 version is a Disney original. I'm not sure. And so they figured they'll bring in the original so you could watch them both side by side and see which one holds up better. Um, I did not see this when this when this was in the theaters. If you listened to last week's podcast, you know why. But I did watch it several times in the interim, and I watched the edited for content version that is on Disney Plus to prepare for the show, and you will find out. As you listen, what the differences are. Good. I I'm like I can't wait to hear about the differences because um I this I so I was four when this came out um so like I obviously didn't see it in theaters and I actually have never seen it until yesterday. I just vaguely familiar with it because um, I think it was my stepmom had it on a time or two when I was very young. Um, so I recognized Sarah and her Thor obsession, but I didn't know anything about it besides cute kid in a silver helmet. Yeah. And also, I think that might be another reason why Disney has this, because they own the rights to Thor. Because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we will actually break down who Thor is. 
and where he plays in the current Marvel Cinematic Universe during this podcast. So the synopsis which comes to us, as always, care of Wikipedia, goes a little something like this. After her boyfriend, Mike, cancels their anniversary date, 17-year-old Chris Parker invites her friend Brenda over to her Oak Park, Illinois house to cheer her up, but is convinced by her mother to babysit their neighbor's daughter, 8-year-old Sarah Anderson, who idolizes the Marvel Comics hero Thor, while they attend the party in downtown Chicago. Sarah's 15-year-old brother, Brad, is supposed to spend the night at his friend Daryl Cooper Smith's house, but he changes his mind when he discovers that Chris is babysitting his younger sister. After receiving a frantic phone call from Brenda, who ran away to a downtown bus station, Chris plans to go alone to pick her up, but is coerced by Brad, Sarah, and Daryl to take them with her. On the freeway, their station wagon suffers a flat tire, and they are picked up by a tow truck driver, handsome John Pruitt, who offers to pay for the tire when Chris realizes she left her purse at the Anderson. En route, Pruitt receives a call from his boss, Dawson, with evidence that his wife is cheating on him, and he rushes to his house to confront the infidelity. Chris's mother's car is damaged when Pruitt accidentally shoots out the windshield while aiming to kill his wife's lover with a snub-nosed revolver. Chris and the kids hide in the adulterer's Cadillac, which is then stolen by a car thief named Joe Gibb. Reaching their hideout on the south side, the kids realize they have stumbled upon a large, multi-state stolen car operation, and Joe is chided by Graydon, the operation's second-in-command for bringing witnesses. They are detained in an upstairs office but escape. They enter a blues club where the band on stage refuses to let them leave until they perform a blues number. The group spontaneously recounts their events while accompanied on instruments by Albert Collins, causing the audience to sing along and happily applaud. They leave Justice Joe, Graydon, and his boss, Bleak, arrive in the club, whose owner stalled him. Brad tells Chris about his feelings towards her, and is disappointed to learn he is too young for her. After separating Daryl from a streetwalker who is a runaway, Chris is reminded of Brenda. They are found and chased again by Graydon and Bleak, but escape on the L train, and wind up in the middle of a gang fight. Brad is injured when one of the gang leaders throws a switchblade into his foot. They take Brad to the university hospital, where he receives a stitch. They run into Pruitt, who is now on the run from his earlier attacks. He tells the kid he replaced the windshield, but Dawson wants $50 for the tire. The kids come across a fraternity house party, and Chris becomes attracted to Dan Lynch, a gentleman who learns of Chris's problems and donates $45. He takes them to Dawson's garage and drops them off. When they find Dawson, his blonde hair and sledgehammer led, hair, led Sarah to believe that he is Thor. He denies them their car because of the $5 shortage. But when Sarah offers him her toy Thor helmet, he changes his mind and lets them go. Meanwhile, Joe Gipp tells Bleak about their troubles, and the three are waiting to follow them. The kids find the restaurant where Mike was supposed to take Chris and discover that he's with another girl. Sarah slips away to look at a toy store while Chris yells at Mike. Brad stands up to Chris but is reluctant to hit stands up for Chris but is reluctant to hit Mike. So Daryl kicks Mike into a table, ruining his dinner and causing a commotion. Bleak spots Sarah and Grayton chases her into an office building where she hides. The others notice her disappearance and follows accidentally coming across the Anderson's party. After Sarah climbs out an open window and slides down a building, Chris spots her and they run upstairs to help. After the group pulls Sarah from outside the window, Bleak confronts them. Joe knocks his boss out before giving him a Playboy magazine that Daryl had stolen, which contained important notes that the criminals wanted. The kids retrieve Brenda from the bus station and rush home, nearly avoiding the Andersons on Interstate 290. Once home, Chris cleans the mess up left earlier, settling into place just as the Andersons enter. As Chris says goodnight to the kids, Brad tells her he understands about her not feeling the same way he did about her, and tells her that if they see each other at school the next day, 
It's okay if she ignores him. However, Chris smiles and tells him she does not ignore her friends. Just as Chris is leaving, Dan arrives with one of Sarah's missing skates. He says he needs a babysitter and is disappointed when Chris says she is retired. He confesses that the babysitter was for him. Chris decides that retirement can wait and gladly agrees to babysit Dan. With Sarah's encouragement, Chris and Dan kiss outside as Brad closes the blinds. In a post-credit scene, Graydon is shown hanging on the ledge, still trying to find his way to safety. The end. Now, I don't know about you, but this movie started off weird. Because it started off with Elizabeth Shue singing, and then he kissed me. Mm-hmm. As she is getting dressed, and the first thing that I noticed was that she had on full-length um, nylons for like two-thirds of the song. Why is that weird? Well, I mean, I don't know when girls stopped wearing pantyhose. Oh, I was wearing them up until I was like nine or ten. Okay. So this yeah, and probably they were, like, around longer than that. I just, that was about the age that I revolted. Um, so I didn't think that was weird. So she's, like, getting ready for a date. Uh-huh. And she looks so pretty. And then her boyfriend, Mike, is that right? Yes, played by the almost always bad guy, Bradley Whitford. Yeah. Which, once I saw him, I was like, okay, I know who the bad guy is in this movie. Or who one of the bad guys is. So anytime he wasn't like in the movie a whole lot, she had a couple scenes and then he's just like a presence um, as a character, like in conversation stuff. But like it, we know that she's 17 mm-hmm. and um, I didn't catch how old he's supposed to be in this movie. No, in real life, he's a little older than her, but like all I could think anytime he was on screen is like, he looks old enough to like be her dad. He looks so old compared to her. And I think there's only like a five or six year age difference in real life. So I just am like, why didn't they cast someone a little younger? Well, I think it was because of the fact that he plays creep very well. Just from the shows and movies that I've seen him in after the fact. Because, I mean, like I said, every time that I've seen him, he's either been the creep, the bad boyfriend, the bad husband, or just a plain bad guy in the movie or TV show. He was in The West Wing. Yeah, well, hmm. He was like, he was a good guy but I think everybody in that show was a good guy yeah. mostly I haven't seen the whole series but it's um, on my rewatch list I loved it when it was on the first time um, I've, I've seen that, but not all of it but you kind of had a feeling that he was going to be a bad guy when he pulls up and his license plate tells you that he is too cool and I'm not sure if the mantra still was around back then, but if you have to tell somebody that you're too cool, you're not cool. Yes. <laughs> the vanity plate on, yeah, terrible. But it was a very cool car. I, I liked the car. I did not like him. So, yeah, he basically cancels a date because his quote-unquote sister is sick and he doesn't want for um, Chris to get sick with whatever it is that she has. And we'll get into how bad a liar that is later. And so she takes a job babysitting the Anderson children, which, as we mentioned last week, has Keith Coogan from Cheetah of 1989, and he is also from Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. And no, go ahead. Oh, uh, like you mentioned in that episode that, um, uh, in the cheetah episode that he would be in this, but enough time has passed that I completely (laughs) forgot. And so when he pops up, I was like, he looks familiar. He's the kid from cheetah. Yeah. And I know I said in Cheetah that I didn't like him. He was great in this. I loved him in this. Yeah. Complete redemption. 
So we have her pull up in her mom's station wagon. Great. And I can't remember if her best friend calls her. Oh, yeah. She calls her on the phone. No, she was actually sitting in the room consoling Chris about um, Mike dumping or canceling their dinner. And she's like, I got to get out of there. If I don't, I'm going to spike her tab with Drano. (laughs) She was so mad. For all of the things that they edited in this movie, I would have thought they would have edited that. But, yeah. And so she runs away, and that's a whole other subplot in the movie, which is hilarious. And so Chris is like, well, what am I going to do? And then the mom comes in and says, well, you just got a call. You want to babysit for the Andersons? I guess. I don't not really have anything else going on now. And so the first time that we actually meet the Andersons, starring Keith Coogan and the cute little girl that is in love with Thor, they're fighting, and Keith calls Thor a weirdo. I don't know if that was a dub or if that was the actual words, but it caught my attention, and I wrote it down. And you can tell from the moment that he lays eyes on Chris that he's in love with her, and he just can't profess his undying love for her because he stumbles over compliments and then he mentions that his that her um jacket that belonged to her dead granddad could not have come from sears and this is the first time that this movie gets very badly dated And then we come downstairs, and the mom's telling Chris all the things that's going on, how the Sarah, who's the younger daughter, has been given cough medicine for two weeks. Yes, that kid needs a doctor. And she's like, and she needs some now, and then she needs some before she goes to bed, so let's make sure that that happens. And then they go out, because they've got this big important shindig that's taking place at Nakatomi no it's not Nakatomi Tower that's another movie um it's at I want to say the Sears Tower it's whatever the big pyramid looking building is in Chicago it may have been Sears Tower at one time or whatever but so they they sit down and as soon as she sits down the phone rings and she's like oh I guess that's Mike Mike is Bradley Whitford, for those of you who aren't playing along. Can't keep up with all the players because you don't have a scorecard. And I'm like, how would he know to call the Anderson? Unless every person that her mom talks to that asks, where's Chris? Oh, well, she's over at... But whatever, I'm probably over overplaying it. Yeah, I, that never occurred to me. Yeah. And so... Um, the best friend is calling, and it is a collect call. Second thing that dates this movie. And she doesn't think twice about accepting the charges. Even though she's not at her house. And it's the friend, and she's down at the bus station. And she's rethinking her life decisions of running away to Chicago. Because she has seen a bald late a bald Chinese lady with no pants. There's a guy that is fingering a gun and keeps showing it to her. <laughs> the cuts to him, like the first one made me laugh and the second one made me like scream laugh because I didn't think they'd go back to it. Yeah. But he's just like so happy and like that's obviously like a joke shot. It's not like she's actually in danger it just was like silly like that's the kind of silliness that really um does it for me i loved that shot and then the the kicker is that there's an old guy who i've i know from some movie but i didn't ever figure out where Mm -hmm. that is knocking on the phone booth door because that is his house She's like, you just moved. Yeah, so she kicks out his shoes and his bag of spam or whatever, and she's like, you've just moved. And, God, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes, and I think we're probably like seven minutes into the movie, and I've already got like six lines of, of notes on this movie. Because it's, it's, 
it's a great film. And so she's like, well, I can't go to pick you up because my parents will kill me. The Andersons will kill me. And then, um, yeah, I'm trying to think what is, I don't want to keep calling him Keith because that's not, um, I'm trying to find it. This is making for great, awesome. This is mom, no. Brad. Yeah. And, and it's bad because it's Bradley Whitford, but that's not, he's not playing Brad in this movie. So I was like, that doesn't seem like the right, the right name. Yeah. Yeah, the character is Brad, played by the cheetah guy. Yeah, and uh, so his best friend, Daryl Cooper Smith, great name, mm-hmm. he shows up and he has a Playboy. Third thing that dates him. Yeah, and, and like, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, he points out that um, Chris looks like the playmate of the month. Yeah. And that's like a running gag throughout the movie, which I didn't catch. I mean, I thought, why is this significant? Oh, just because like they like he's got a crush on her, obviously. Um, So when it came back as like a running gag through the rest of the movie, it just made it better. Like I was annoyed by it at first, but it got funnier the more that they like used it as a as like a plot device. Um the best friend is a pain in the butt in this movie, but like, it's useful. Like, he's a great character, I thought, but I just was like, oh my gosh, this guy. Yeah. Daryl is a lecherous teenager with hormones on overdrive. That's the best yes. way to describe it. And so. Yeah. He was obnoxious, too. Yeah. He, he, was, he was a little bit obnoxious. And so he shows up. Right as they're getting ready to get into Chris's mom's car to drive to Chicago to rescue the best friend. And Sarah says, well, just get in the car and run him over. And I laughed at that. (laughs) And she's like, well, first of all, your parents would have me dead, murdered, stabbed if they know that that, that I'm doing this. So you always have to be sworn to secrecy. And then Daryl's like, oh, well, I'll just go talk to my parents and see if they can babysit me. Because I'm sure that you're the fine, upstanding person that they would want. Because he's going to go rat her out. Because that's what yeah. lecherous boys do. I don't think he was really going to rat her out. Well, no, he was but, just... but he, he was trying to get her to let him yeah. ride along with her. He was using that as leverage. Yeah. And so the next thing that we know, they're driving along and it's dark. And I have no clue how it went from daylight to dark that quickly. But Chris is telling a horror story about a man with a hook and how he has scraped off the faces of people and their faces look like SpaghettiOs with meat. Yeah, I thought, like, what a, she is a good babysitter if she can tell a story like that and do all the voices and sound effects. Um, like I was super into that and having no idea really where it was going. So when he shows up with a hook in a minute, I like kind of (laughs) screamed. It was a very exciting moment for me. Like, oh, (laughs) over explaining it to my family. He's like, look, I'm like, he's got a hook. She was just telling him a story about a guy with a hook for a hand. (laughs) It makes it funnier. Yeah. They weren't as amazed as I was. And so the reason why he shows up is because, of course, in true storytelling fashion, the car blows a tire and Mm -hmm. they ride on the rim for what seems like a couple of miles, which I don't know how that didn't damage the car more than it did. And I guess... This is where they actually get the idea for not putting spares in cars anymore. Because the newer models do not come with a spare unless you pay for it. So, anyway, they get out and they go around to the back and lift up the trunk. And I'm actually surprised that one of the kids wasn't riding in the back seat a la 1980s TV and movies. But there's no spare. And... This is where handsome John Pruitt of Dawson's Garage pulls up. And he is the guy with a hook. And he says, well, 
I'll take care of your tire. Or, I don't remember if he said he'd take care of the tire or what. But she's... Yeah, he's going to help him because he didn't want to just leave them yeah. out there. Like, he's, it's like, like he's, he's like, what so. are he's like, what am I going to do? Leave you out here on the side of the road? And so the next thing that we see, we've got all five of them piled into the front seat of his um, tow truck. And Daryl, who is all... I think he's along just to drive the storyline, asks what happened. Mm-hmm to his hand and john says well it's in my glove compartment of course and then they get a phone or he gets a um cb message that some guy is at john's house and john loses it and starts to drive like a madman out of the very hot place and i honestly don't know how the car did not have damage after the way that he was swerving in traffic and meanwhile, Sarah is continuing to scream the phrase, this is great. This is great. This is great. <laughs> She's having so much fun. I got a kick out of that. And then they get there and everything's like messed up or everyone's freaked out. And she's like, can we do that again? Yeah. And and maybe that was a part, but she's having the time of her yeah. life. I love it. Which, I mean, with a gr- and she is wearing her full Thor costume, complete with cape, and she has little Mjolnir, and she's just, she's she's ready to, to defend him. Yes, I love her. And so, Handsome John goes in, grabs, he opens the glove box, and they're fully expecting to see a hand in it. And Brad says, no, it's not a hand, it's a gun. And Daryl loses yeah. it. And so he gets out, he throws the guy that's with his wife through the window, and he starts shooting at him and puts a hole in the um, tow truck front window, shoots another shot, which, and that puts a hole into Sarah's mom's front windshield, and now she's freaking out, and she's like, all right, everybody out, and then they just hop into the guy's car that was with john's woman just as it's being hot wired by um i had a written is it like it's something kind of different yeah it's uh it right as bleak is hot wiring it and the guy starts screaming at them to give the car back the guy who john starts beating to a pulp and Bleak takes them to a chop shop. But before he does that, Chris says, well, can you just let us out on in, on the next corner? And he's like, lady, I wouldn't let my mama out in this neighborhood. And so she's like, well, will you drop us off at a mall? And he's like, what do you think we are in Boise, Idaho? <laughs> and I mean, I'm just, I'm laughing at all the good jokes that they have in this. And so we pull into a chop shop, and somehow someone has boosted a Rolls Royce and is taking the hood off of it. And then we have the first questionable quote of the night. The owner of the chop shop says that it is quitting time at Terra. It's a Gone with the Wind reference mm-hmm. from where all the people who had been enslaved stopped working. And I'm just like, I didn't realize that was in there. It shocked me. Yeah, that is a totally lost reference on me. But having you explain it, it makes me, like, cringe. Like, ew. I'm sure that's not in the remake. Yeah, I don't think it it is. But we'll find out in um, 26 years time when we get to it in movie time um so meanwhile the guy is conducting business with a bunch of extremely shady guys and one of them starts yelling at bleak about why did you bring the brady bunch and we cue to the friend at the bus stop as the brady bunch theme starts playing on the TVs that everybody is watching. And then she gets her glasses stolen. And this is like the second bad thing that's happened to her. Yeah. By a lady that is faking to be asleep. And then she gets up and leaves her her knockoff Ray-Bans, I guess. 
And then we just cut back to, well, after she says that she's blind and she can't see, which obviously she can't if you trade out a pair of thick-rimmed glasses. But So yeah. we cut back to the chop shop. And I failed to mention that Brad had thrown Daryl's Playboy out the window before the car's tire blew. Yes. Which is why we have everything else happen for the rest of the movie. So they're up, they got taken upstairs to the office, and Daryl sees another copy of the March Playboy. And <laughs> he pockets it. And they start to look around on how to escape. And they see a hole in the ceiling. And I'm trying to figure out where this is going, not having watched it in a couple of years. And the next thing you see, you have the four of them climbing out the roof. And she says, be careful, because you don't want to poke your eye out. And meanwhile, down in the chop shop they're talking business and they're starting to try to figure out where the cars are going and the bed the head bad guy says well cleveland is dead meaning we're not going to do business with them anymore or the guy might be the guy's name is cleveland didn't really but he's you're starting to realize that they are in with very bad guy yeah i like okay so the whole like car theft ring or whatever you want to call it um they don't really care about the kids except Mm -hmm. that like they know about it now and they have the playboy with all the business notes or whatever like all the information is written inside other than that like i don't know it it almost felt like this kind of could have not even been part of the movie um except well i don't know I just was annoyed with some of this. Uh, like, I, I so, so I love this movie. Spoiler alert! But uh, like, I liked it so much that I stopped taking notes after the next scene because I was like, I just want to watch this and enjoy it. Um, and I'm glad that I did that. But as it went on, I was like thinking, I don't even like need the car. Like, I guess. They needed somebody to be chasing them Mm -hmm. and to have a reason. But it was like the rest of the stuff that's happening to them and all the characters are so fun that I kind of forgot and and stopped caring about the the car plot. And so once they get out on the roof, I think Daryl says, you've got to be kidding me. And somehow that had to have been a... Um, edit because Chris says watch your mouth and he says you've got to be kidding me again which I'm thinking means you got to be s'ing me yes and so this is the where I'm like okay this is where they're editing it for content I can understand it now that's okay that's kind of funny like I don't even remember th- that I caught that she was like watch your mouth yeah um so that's that's fun. I like I was wondering what the edits were. Mm-hmm. That makes sense now that you pointed out. And so they're moving along, and Brad has on a Hemingway High Letterman's jacket, which the best friend also has a Hemingway High jacket, and it just caught me as weird that that was the name of the high school that they went to, but I didn't think anything more about it and so brad says well if we get out of this you're gonna have to ask for more than a dollar an hour or a dollar more an hour to be the babysitter and so the big bad tells the chop shop guy to go up and get the information and he starts looking around for the playboy which mm-hmm. is where we see that they've written the information on the centerfold. And he doesn't realize that the kids are gone until after he realizes that the magazine's gone. And I'm like, you're just wonderful. That's not... Well, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. 
Um, doesn't like Bleak kind of watches it, right? He sees him getting out. Yeah, Bleak sees what's going on, and he's not gonna because he kind of wants them to get out. I think. Yeah. And so, but yeah, so they they get out, and then Grayson, who's or Graydon, comes down and tells the boss that the magazine's gone, and oh, by the way, the kids are gone too. Right. And the kids climb down off the roof and take off to the Silver Dollar Room, which is a blues club. And they are told that they can't get out until they sung the blues. And Elizabeth Shuey shows off her pipes by singing the Babysitter's Blues. This was fun. Um, this actually, like, right about where my notes stop. <laughs> uh, because I, like... I was into this movie, but this is what really hooked me that I was like, I can't, like, I have to pay attention to the rest of this. Because mm-hmm. um, I like that she's like, I can't sing. And then they're like, you have to sing or you can't leave the stage. Yeah. And so she just, they have like this whole like wonderful improv thing. Um, she says what she says. And then like, I think Daryl or one of the boys pipes in and I was like, oh, did you hear that? It rhymed. They're making a real song. Mm-hmm. Um, again, over explaining the jokes to my family who were <laughs> getting them. But I was like, do you see why this is funny? Do you see why this is great? I just, I loved this. It was super fun. And so after they've sung, the bad guys come in and they're trying to follow him out. And a real life, this is the guy that was playing the guitar is a real life blues player. And so he's like, you can't leave until you've sung a song. And yeah. you just cut away. And... Brad decides, well, skip it. I'm going to go ahead and tell Chris how I feel about it. And she's like, but you're a kid. And right then we cut to Daryl being the lecherous teenager that he is. And he's over there propositioning propositioning a lady of the night. (laughs) And come to find out that she's 17. Or that's how old she said she was. Anyway. And then we cut back to the bus stop where... The helpless, blind friend is stumbling along, and she picks up what she thinks is a cute kitten. It ends up being a white lab rat that they said was a sewer rat. Yes. Yeah, I kind of knew where it was going. Um, But then they're like, that's a sewer rat, and it shows it. And I was like, that is not a sewer rat. That's way too pretty, but okay. Yeah. Like, I get it. They could use a real sewer rat. Yeah, because it probably would have run off every time they put it down. And so the kids are trying to get back to the um, to the car, and they just jump on an L, which for those of you who are not affluent in Chicago terminology is an elevated train. And the bad guys are chasing them. And the ticket guy says, one of y'all is going to have to pay for them kids. And they all just, the the kids just slump down in the car. And then we have a gang war take place in the car. Mm -hmm. And this is where the second edited for content comes up. Because the two gangs are moving closer to each other and they're pulling out knives and all hex about to break loose and Chris stops them and they repeatedly call her a witch which we can see where this is with a change of one letter and they say it about five times and after the third time I look up and I can see the different mouth inflections I'm like okay (laughs) that's why they said that and so they continue to jaw back and forth and I think um, Brad calls them a scum sucker and a fool, and one of the guys hits him with a knife in his foot, and he immediately says, "Well, I can't feel my foot," which it doesn't work like that. Don't play a doctor on TV, and I'm not one. And so mm-hmm. they get off the train at the next stop and Daryl's like, well, he could have tetanus, he could have lockjaw, he could have rabies, scabies, emphysema. And they just happened to pull up to the University of Chicago hospital train stop. And I'm just thinking as a dad, once they get in, 
normally they don't let you see a doctor until you filled out paperwork. Right. And so I actually wrote down, did anybody fill out the paperwork? And they they rush them in and get them seen because they're like, my friend's been hurt in a gang war. Technically, yes, but whatever. And so we cut back to the friend who is trying to pass off a perfectly good seventh hand check for a hot dog. And the hot dog vendor says, well, if you don't have cash, I don't have a wiener. She's like, but I have a perfectly good check. The back and forth here, like, obviously, it's supposed to sound um, salacious. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of snickered, but I also was like, oh, that's not, like, the kind of humor that, that I really love. It was fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was funny enough, I guess. I just was like, oh, this feels like the 80s. Yeah. And so, after we had that little repartee, we cut back to the hospital and apparently there actually was a couple of people that were brought in for a knife fight and one of them has died and meanwhile brad needed all of one stitch yeah and chris and everybody else comes back to check on him and the doctor not knowing that that was who they were talking about says i'm sorry your friend's dead and chris faints yeah and Meanwhile, Brad puts on a shoe and comes out, and he's like, all that I have to show for my big knife fight is one stitch. It's really depressing. And everybody's shocked until Sarah looks up and sees Brad, and Daryl says, don't you ever die on me again. And this is where we get the return of handsome John Pruitt, who is now a fugitive from the law just like they are because they've been running and Sarah's backpack has been open this entire time with the playboy just flopping out. Yeah. And no one has looked at it to figure out that this is what's going on. And so he tells them where the car is and she's like, well, I'll, I paid for your windshield, but you're going to have to pay for the tire. It's going to be $50. She's like, all right, fine. We can deal with that. Despite the fact that she doesn't have her wallet, she doesn't have her driver's license, she doesn't have anything to to pay for it, but whatever. And so since they're at Chicago, the University of Chicago, now Sarah has to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And they find a raging kicker party at the Kappa house. Yeah, I thought this was like, I don't know, I wasn't sure what to expect, but um, I liked where it went. Yeah. Poor little Sarah's about to wet her pants. Um, Of course, Daryl acts a fool and then, like, finds some girl to he's going to try to hook up with. Um, And so she meets, is it Dan? Yeah, it was Dan. Uh, Because, like, they walk in and, like, the thing of she looks like the playmate of the month or whatever, the centerfolds. Um, they're all like, oh my gosh, it's her. And he kind of rescues her um, from all these other like dumb college boys, which like it just immediately sets him apart. So, you know, like he's a good guy. Yeah. And so she's like, he's like, what can I do? How can I help? He's like, well, I need $50. And he somehow rounds up $45. Mm-hmm. And then he takes them to Dawson's garage, which is where we find out is Thor's magical hideout. And this movie actually has two Marvel Cinematic Universe tie-ins. Because not only is it Thor, but it is being played by the current kingpin out of... Vincent D'Onofrio is playing Thor in this movie. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Mind blown. Like, I, I knew King the Kingpin stuff, mm-hmm. but it didn't, like, click in my head until you just said that. Like, I, the name Vincent D'Onofrio, like, I know that name, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't, I didn't connect those two until just now. And see... 
I heard the voice and thought that it sounded more like Mark Ruffalo. And I'm like, wait, Hulk is Thor? And then I looked it up and it's like, no, Vincent, Vincent Philip D'Onofrio, which is what he's actually listed as in this movie. And I'm like, that's Kingpin. So that's it's so it's a it's a very twisted Elseworld version of Thor. <laughs> but he's playing the hard to get um shop owner. He's like, Well if you don't have fifty dollars you don't have your car. You can get lost. And Sarah's like, I know what the problem is with you. You don't have your helmet and so she hands him her Thor helmet and he's mm-hmm. like I have one of these at home. So it's subtle nod that is cool and would have loved to have seen him show up in the big bad fight scene at the end as yeah not a thunder but i'm sorry that did yeah that was cute where it's like he i mean you think like he's not he's just a guy but then there's oh there's that like little bit of like but is he yeah. i mean this movie doesn't really lean into like any kind of magic or anything like that um, but that is a really fun little nod. Yeah. And so he gives them the car, gives them the car, and says, we'll call it evens because the girl likes me and she's a Thor fan. And so they get in the car and they drive off and they drive past a place that Mike was supposed to take her for their dinner that evening. And mm-hmm. surprise, surprise. Mike's car is parked out front. And so, of course, they have to stop and confront him and come to find out that he is out on a date with a girl named Sesame. Yeah, I was like, what the heck kind of name? Like, did her parents not like her? (laughs) I don't know. But, so, Mike's like, little girl, I don't know what you think is going on, but your legs are locked to the knee. And I'm just like, oh, he did not just say that. Yeah, that was that was pretty low. Didn't love it. And apparently, sesame. All you have to do is say "open sesame," and <gasps> I hate it. I hate it. I hate that. <laughs> That's so bad. But so once. Mike says this, Daryl kicks him in the butt, and he goes flying over the table that they're standing at, and Sesame rolls her eyes at all of this. And meanwhile, Sarah has grabbed an eclair and is standing at the toy store that she noticed. And we come out, and there is another Playboy billboard right behind the fine upscale restaurant. Which kind of makes you wonder what Chicago was like in the 80s, still. Right. So, the um, car guys are seeing, they see her, and they see the magazine because it's right there. And at least Sarah has the smarts to not get in a strange car with strange guys, which if it was a van saying free candy, she probably would have. Because this is the 80s and that would have been the way the movie would have gone. So she takes off running, and she sees the building where her parents are at, and we just fast forward to them all being at the building. And as is the way of most 80s movies, when you have a building that tall, one of the floors has been recently renovated, and the windows have been taken out. Yeah, just like another trope in a movie that's kind of full of them. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... So good, you just don't even think of it. And so they, she takes off, goes up the elevator. Graydon and his boys get stopped, and he punches out the night um, janitor. And they all take off after her, and they can't figure out where she's going. So they go up a couple of floors, and of course, Graydon finds her on the renovated renovated floor and she goes out the window and slides down because she has a um rope god only knows why they had rope on that floor but whatever there's always rope in movie renovations yes haven't you seen home alone yeah that's true (laughs) and so um before this 
She runs to the elevator, hits the button. Graydon, for whatever reason, can't actually reach her, despite the fact that the door was halfway open when he gets there. And I'm just like, okay, that's bad trope there. Because you got to let the kid get away so you can have the big climax. Mm-hmm. And so Chris and the Andersons go to look for her. And Chris puts on a mink fur co- or a mink fur coat and goes out and runs into the big bad guy and ties a rope on his feet as um, Sarah's parents are approaching him about where they got the food from because they think that he's the caterer and he's you could just see his blood boiling with all this. I didn't understand why this like was in there except like just to kind of give it some urgency because oh no we're accidentally at the same place where the parents are yeah even though that's where you would have gone if you were however old sarah was and you know where your parents were so we cut back to sarah who has slid down the side of the building and she honestly should have just slid right on off but Right. But it's a Disney movie and she's a kid. Yeah. And so Graydon, for whatever reason, decides to climb out and climb down the roof to try to get to her. And Brad throws the rope down and they get her up and leave Graydon on the side of the Sears Tower or wherever it is. And they get back to the car and... I think it was Brad that says, well, the, or no, it was um, Sneak or whatever the guy's name is. Because the the big bad catches them as they're going out. Oh, Bleak. Bleak. Yeah. I, knew, I knew it ended with an eek. So Bleak catches them and he was getting ready to just let them go until the big bad boss shows up and he punches her, punches them out. And he looks at the magazine and says, you don't compare anything, or she doesn't compare anything to you. And tosses the magazine at the guy, and they all walk off. And they go and get the friend who has had the longest of nights, and she says, you'll never believe what kind of a night I've been through. And they're like, oh, buddy. You have no clue. And so they're driving home, and they see the parents, and they're like, how fast do your parents drive? And they're like, oh, 45. So like, okay, well, then we're going 80 on a brand new tire and three other tires that would probably blow at any moment, given what you've been through tonight. Yeah, I don't think she really went 80, though, because, like, they get home and clean the whole house and whatever, and then she, like, lands her butt on the couch right as they open the door. And she actually windexes the counter. She doesn't even actually wipe it down. She just squirts some window cleaner on it. Well, the wiping is implied. Yeah. (laughs) And so she lands, and there he said, well, did you have any problems? She's like, no, not at all. And so she gets paid and goes up and tells everybody that everything's done. And Sarah, of course, asks, can we do this again next Friday? Because this was the greatest night of my life. And Daryl says, this is the greatest night of my life so far. Mm-hmm. And then she leaves and Dan shows up. Because her, Sarah's extra skate that she had lost was in the back of his Jeep. And she was one of those kids where you put your name and your address on everything, apparently. I will say, like, when she, when Chris is, like, telling the boys and Sarah bye for the night, um, uh, Brad is like, listen, I know, like, I can't remember exactly what he says, but, like, you're cooler than me, and, like, you're a senior and whatever, um, so if you see me at school and, like, don't say anything, it's fine. And she's like, well, why would, I wouldn't treat a friend that way or something. So, it's like, aw, like. He's had, like he's got a crush on her. Like obviously it's not gonna work out. Yeah. Like it's it's pretty clear like that she doesn't like return the feelings that he has, but that you know she cares for them. So I just thought that was so sweet, and I like that they didn't like turn it into a romance between those two. Yeah. 
As they probably I, would have if it was a couple of years later. Yeah. But, like, Dan showing up with the skate and then, like, asking her, like, telling her that he needs a babysitter. Was like I was like, oh, Dan, that is so smooth. He needs a babysitter for, for himself. I loved it. Like, A plus, no notes. That was so smooth. And so the movie ends with them kissing and we get full circle because the song that she was singing at the very beginning is the song that we go out on. Mm-hmm. And then at the very tail end, after all the credits have gone off, Graydon is on the ledge asking for somebody to help him. I did not see that i'm about to watch it right now again mind blown i didn't i didn't see that that's fun it's a nice little tag yeah and it and it's like and it's so short that when you watch it if if you're just watching it it'll clip out yeah i like that's so funny especially because um when he's like stuck there bleak's like i just let him hang there for a while No biggie. I thought that was funny, but I didn't realize that they really like left him hanging. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Oh man, I didn't know what to expect. And this movie was so good. I will definitely watch this again. Yeah, this this was this was a fun one. I was pleasantly surprised having watched it but not remembering everything that had happened. So um, the three questions, unless you have other notes. Nope. All right. The first question, what is today's impact on the movie? This movie was remade in 2016, yeah. so it fits in like that. Yeah. I haven't seen the remake, obviously. Um, uh, I think I mentioned that. So... I'm, it's like the same answer when we have this kind of movie. Like technology would change some things, yeah. um, as far as like cell phones and videos. Like I'm interested now to watch the mm. new one, newer. Yeah, I mean it's still seven years old, but still whatever. Yeah, um, my- I mean the lengths that she actually went through to protect these kids. I don't know of very many I mean of course it's a movie so they're going to go further and higher and faster and stronger than anything that you would normally see but most babysitters at the first sign of trouble would have packed it in and said y'all figure it out on your own or we're just going to go on home right now and just chuck my best friend we'll let her figure that out because she made her own um, phone booth and now she's going to have to stay there Yeah, I like Man, I think they could have done without that subplot, except um, for the... Well, I guess maybe they couldn't. Uh, it was, like, just funny little interjections here and there, so you see what's happening with her. I guess the whole point is that, like, that's what got them out of the house. Yeah. So maybe maybe you do need it, um, and I should just stop talking. <laughs> um... Is it mirrored in culture? I mean, like, people still self? have babysitters. <laughs> yeah, I like. Aside from the remake, probably not. I mean, there's like obviously Thor is a big deal, but that's not not specific to the film. Yeah. And how does it fit into society? I mean, chop shops are still around. We have Ladies of the Night still. We have Gang Wars. Everything that happened happens. It just doesn't usually happen to one person in one night. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a wrap. So, it is the holiday season as this is being released. So our next episode is going to be our annual Christmas extravaganza. And we have 
1985 Disney um, Christmas movie entitled One Magic Christmas. I don't know anything about it other than it is a Disney movie entitled One Magic Christmas that was released in 1985. So I'll be watching it for the first time. And it's probably one that I have watched. I just didn't know it was called that. But So that is your next homework. If this is one of your favorite movies, which I'm sure there's probably one or two of you out there, please send us an email at BeKindRewindDMP.com. Let us know what you thought about it, if you liked it, what you liked about it, if you had feelings about Bradley Whitford or George Newbern, who played Dan, or Vincent D'Onofrio, let us know. We will read your comments on air. We love to hear from fans. We don't get as much email as we would like to. We would like to actually have a full email show, but we have to have email in order to do that. So, um, Also, you can rate us, review us, let us let one of your friends know and tell them to pass it on along because the more people that listen to us the higher we go on ratings and more people will find out about us that way but until we talk again it's time for you to stay safe stay hungry and watch watch out for one-armed tow truck people on the side of a road in chicago <laughs> We'll talk to you next week. He was like the hero, though. <laughs> well, yeah, but he could have just scraped their face off and left them with SpaghettiOs with meat. Yeah, like we should be thankful for that. Thank you for listening. You can send us feedback at BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. We welcome any kind of feedback and it might get read on the air in a future podcast. Once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. sent us. Uh, this is our car. You owe me 50 bucks. Have you been fighting the forces of darkness? What is she talking about? Um, sorry, she thinks you're somebody else. It's him, Brad. It's really him. Look, it's Thor! Yeah, come on, let's go. Don't listen to him anyway. He said you were a homo. Spreading rumors about me, kid? Oh, oh no. No, sir. No. Thank you. Come on, Sarah. What's this? There's $45 here. You owe me 50 I know. That's all that we have. Then you don't have a car. No, you don't understand. I mean, we have had the most unbelievable night. Save it! You owe me money. Now you give me five bucks, or you get out. Trouble. Hey, kid. This is the city. I don't help anybody but myself. But I Get a- lost! Wait! I know why you're not acting like yourself. You don't have your special helmet. See, you're wearing the baseball hat. 
supposed to be wearing this. Take mine. Go on, take it. Given this to me? Oh, yeah, you're my hero. Here. Here, take the car. Thanks, Thor. You're welcome. Hey, kid. I got one of these at home. Get your address so that I could send you a check for the five dollars. Go, go, Chris. Get the car. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>